And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Kiva Huomenda, and welcome to Finland's favorite Mets podcast, The Metrospective, now charting all over Northern Europe, according to one random website I found. I'm Ted Berg. I'm joined today, as always, on the line by Tim Britton, the Metrospective's Mets, I'm sorry, the Athletics Mets beat writer, also the Metrospective's Mets beat writer. Tim, how's it going? You didn't prep me. I would have looked up a cool other language to start in. I wasn't uh, ready so, for that. Well, I can I can actually throw you a bone here because uh, what I said, Hiva Huamenda, probably not pronounced right and on account of there's multiple umlauts in there. That's good morning in Finnish, but it turns out the word for hello in Finnish is just hey. <laughs> hey, what's up? Yeah, there you go. Uh, um, thank you. I, I, was yeah, thinking, I, I started yeah. every uh, instant message of my life in Finnish then. Uh-huh. Well, it's, it's, it's actually H-E-I. So oh. unless it was like a you were slamming on the keypad, probably not. Um, I was thinking that once the you know when the pandemic is over, hopefully by then we will be big enough that maybe we could like do a retrospective world tour and and just like hit Finland and Norway and and uh, Ecuador apparently now according to this again this one chart website that I don't know if I trust we're uh, we're doing pretty well in Ecuador and I'd love to check that out. I'm thinking like we could have. Uh, like one of these concerts you see in Brazil where like a million people show up and then it's just you and me on a stage talking about like the Mets offseason acquisitions. We can we can hit up the O'Leary's Boston sports bar chain that is popular in Norway and Sweden. Huh. Um, who knew? <laughs> I guess you did because you've been to Norway. I know we know this. We, yeah, we've discussed this already. A big Scandinavian guy, yeah, um, as, as, as discussed. Um, I, and I would like to discuss that more because I, I'm really eager to discuss anything but the Mets series in Chicago. Well, they, they've gotten a taste of the, the cold, cold Northern Europe weather um, there you go. There's the last a week. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, the, the, the Mets get swept in, at Wrigley Field. They've been terrible at Wrigley Field outside of a two-game stretch in October of 2015. Really dating back to like 2003, the record I think SNY was was talking about it all series. They're like 15 and 40 at Wrigley. That two game that two game stretch in 2015 though was pretty satisfying. And I'll tell you, I you know sometimes in the in the press box you get uh, obviously I was a bit of a homer in the press box, but not not vocally. You know, you're, I'm not I'm not rooting for the like I'm deep in my heart as a national baseball writer rooting for the Mets in 2015. Uh, in in part because it means that I will continue the postseason sleeping in my own bed, but also because it's the Mets. Um, but I'm not, you know, I'm, a, I'm I can be professional about things. Whereas I was sitting between, I was sitting in the Wrigley Field aux box for that series between two Chicago radio producer guys who were just like openly rooting for the Cubs, and it was so fun to just smugly sit there and watch the Cubs lose those games. <laughs> 
So yeah, they they picked the right two to play well. Uh, but these Chicago. three, these three, no. Yeah, and it it uh, you know you can take away different things from this series. I think we'll we'll probably talk a lot about the the defense is the big issue, especially those first two games, but the middle game in particular, the middle innings of the middle game uh, were really a, a kind of farce for the Mets defensively. The other thing is that you realize how much they've been really leaning on that starting pitching early in the season. Like they scored eight runs in this series and lost all three. They scored eight runs in Denver in Coors Field and won two out of three. And that's because you had Jacob DeGrom striking out just about everyone on on Saturday in the first game. And then you had Marcus Stroman with a, a great outing on Sunday going eight innings. So when, you, when you've when you got DeGrom and Stroman pitching that way, you can get by scoring eight runs in the series uh, when none of your starters last through the fourth inning the way they did in Chicago, in part because of that defense, uh, then then you're you're going to get swept, scoring eight runs. And you know, in a, in as well as, and we're going to get to the defense because that's a, a a big and important thing to talk about at, at this juncture of the season, I think. Um, uh, and and you you had a great column about it, but the poor defense and and the starting pitchers not escaping the fourth also then exposes what we already knew was. Uh, a very soft underbelly of the bullpen, and and you saw it on uh, in the middle game of the series when that game just sort of spiraled out of control. No one could get anybody out. Uh, poor Trevor Hildenberger kind of had to had to wear one there, and then wound up getting uh, getting sent to the alternate site the very next day. And so, um, for as sunny as we were about the on-field Mets last time we spoke, it's almost as if it's it's uh, still April. Yeah, and it's funny because that that soft underbelly, like you're you're playing around with different roles. Like Trevor Hildenberger is the guy who gave up the grand slam on Wednesday to Javi Baez. He did not pitch particularly well that day. Uh, Robert Gazelman didn't have a great day that day. And then Sean Reed Foley pitches the way he did on Thursday, retiring all nine batters he faced. And you know your long relief looks great moving forward as long as you go with Reed Foley rather than the other guys. You know that that's kind of where you're you're cycling through. Uh, different people to see what mix works in your bullpen. Uh, and, you know, outside of uh, Gazelman and Hildenberger, it pitched, it's pitched pretty well the last, mm-hmm. the last. I mean, really since opening day. Uh, the kind of the the main guys in the Mets bullpen, May, Castro, Loop, and Diaz have pitched well. They've allowed like the free runner and extra innings to score, and not much else. Loop pitching around the uh, the leadoff triple uh, on Thursday night. Uh, I do want to say there were a lot of Mets fans who were like mad that Aaron Loop pitched that inning or started that inning against Jake Marisnik. And I thought that was okay. Um, because uh, if you go to Castro there, you get uh, Hayward and Sogard as your pinch hitters. Uh, and then you get Ian Happ batting from his better side, the left side. Mm-hmm. If you go with Loop, you get Jake Marisnik and Austin Romine and Ian Happ batting from his worst side, the right side. Uh, and uh, I know... You know, you might say like, well, you're not really scared of Jason Hayward and Eric Sogard as pinch hitters. Uh, and uh, I, I don't think you should be that scared of Jake Marisnik from the right side. So I was OK with, with Louis Rojas doing that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's tough to figure out what what buttons buttons to push when it seems like a, but, a bunch of the buttons are broken. Yeah, that's when there aren't like great options. Uh, I thought neither of those was a bad option. Uh, I, don't, I don't. It was not worth getting worked up over uh, in my mind. Uh, but do you want to? You want to talk about actual errors? Yeah, and and well, I, I did want to just hit on the the Reed Foley thing because that was I thought if there was one bright spot to this entire series, it was 
getting three strong innings out of an unknown quantity in, in Reed Foley, and he's an intriguing guy. If you look back through his stats, like he's there's promise there. He's always struck out a ton of batters. He's had some success in the minors, some some rocky seasons. Uh, his last one with the Blue Jays was was sort of nightmarish. Um, you know, but it, it seems like and uh, we both know better than to read too much into three innings, but uh, there was a, a particularly strong three innings, and at least you can hope, like, okay, maybe this is a hot hand they can ride for a little while. Yeah, it's it's a nice data point. It's one data point, but it's still a nice one to have. Uh, and this is a guy who, who was a, a, a pretty well-regarded prospect for some period of time uh, with Toronto. So if he can, you know, if moving to the bullpen more permanently uh, helps him you know, find his command a little bit. That's always been the issue, right? Is the walks. Uh, if he's able to do that, uh, then, you know, the, the stuff plays a little bit differently uh, when he's not working through an extra batter per inning on the bases. Right. And I think, you know, we've seen obviously time and again that guys can improve a lot of, upon moving to the bullpen, depending on that stuff. You can you can use fewer of whatever pitch it is that you can't get over the plate. You don't need as much if you're only facing a guy once in a game. And, and, uh, and on top of that, I think, you know, there's a case to be made at this point that you know, AAA pitchers, by and large, have, like, all of the physical tools for Major League success, and, and sometimes you just need, like, the, the right voice in your ear and the, or the, the right game plan or what, whatever that is to, to make everything click. And I think, you know, based on the one outing, and again, one outing, we can kind of hope, like, maybe, hey, maybe this guy, everything's going to click for this guy, and you'll get that nice long relief se- season. But uh, what I think is is not something that, that leaves a lot of Mets fans hopeful right now is that defense. And and your column at The Athletic is, is a great one. It's a, it's a good one to read um, in that it reminds us that this is by design. Yeah, like, you know, it's we're 14 games into the season and there's a lot of small sample weirdness that you can kind of dismiss uh, with, with some, you know, your your favorite song. Right. Uh, I would say you could you could dismiss Luis Guillorme's two errors, right? Like the, those that's a defensive misuse that you can say, like, I'm not really worried about Guillorme moving forward. Yeah. Uh, you know, like Wednesday, we talked to Chili Davis, uh, the hitting coach over Zoom. Uh, and he was like, he, he basically said, you know, just in my mind, it, it's just too early. And, and our schedule's been too disruptive to really worry too much about the offense. And I agree with him. It's it's 14 games. They've only played on three consecutive days twice, uh, This including the, this past series against Chicago. Uh, and they led the, the majors in batting average last season over a longer stretch of time. Uh, maybe they're not quite as good as they were offensively last year uh, in all situations except with runners in scoring position. Uh, and but but I don't think they're as bad as they are currently. I think they'll be a top ten run scoring off. Well, you know I don't know about the DH stuff. They'll be a top five run scoring team in the National League uh, by the end of the season. Defensively, though, that is what you we were genuinely concerned about heading into the season was what they could do with their gloves. Uh, and JD Davis at third base was a big question mark. Dom Smith in left field, Brandon Nimmo in center. Nimmo's been been. Fine, I think in center, uh, Smith has has been pretty good in left. There haven't been too many glaring plays out there. Davis is under the spotlight, obviously, for the two errors on Tuesday. Another one on Wednesday. Uh, looked some looked shaky on some other plays Wednesday. Really, the whole defense looked terrible on Wednesday. It wasn't just J.D. Davis, but he's the one that the Mets have kind of another option. You mentioned Guillaume. He played there Thursday night and made a sparkling play to start the game. Uh, so. You know, this is this is how the Mets have been built. They have chosen the bat over the glove 
at almost every position for a decade, basically. Uh, and this is what happens when you do that. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, if the if and when the offense does come around, uh, how much do you still choose the bat at third base every day in J.D. Davis over the glove in Luis Guillorme? Yeah, and I guess you could say that the good news with Davis is is he has smoked the ball uh, as a hitter. And so, you know, you are getting... And in that Wednesday night game, at the beginning, he he had, I believe he had given the Mets the lead. And, and then so it was like, you live by the J.D. Davis, you die by the J.D. Davis. And uh, they died pretty hard at the hands of, of, of Davis's defense in that game. I, I thought that uh, Gary Cohen made a good point in, in that broadcast, which was that, you know, I wonder if there's a case to be made that you know, you don't not looking at at the opposing pitcher so much because you can say and and Luis Rojas did in in his decision to use Davis in Thursday's game. He said, you know, Davis does not have uh, that stark platoon splits as as a hitter. Um, whereas, you know, if maybe if the Mets have two lefties in, in their rotation and and they have Stroman in their rotation, a guy who gets a lot of ground balls, you know, maybe you start looking at pitching matchups for for when to give Guillaume a go at, at third base because I think. Um, with with a lefty who's gonna who's gonna yield some contact like like Lucchese, uh, you probably want Guillaume out there. Yeah, Lucchese and Peterson are are guys that that generate more ground balls, especially to the right to the the left side of the infield because you're gonna have a lot of right-handed batters facing them. Uh, so that would make sense. I think the Mets want to break those guys up in the rotation before they're not back to back the way they were this week, mm-hmm. uh, and they'll probably do that going forward. Uh, you know, I think the one issue you have with that is, okay, if you do that for Lucchese and Peterson, maybe for Stroman, uh, how do the other starters feel when, you, when you're when you not running those guys, the, the best defense out for them too? Because, uh, you know, maybe uh, J.D. Davis has a throwing error in a Jacob deGrom start or on Tuesday night in a, like, that was I a Taiwan like, Walker start, you know? Let me, let me have that conversation because I feel like I could sell Jacob deGrom on that because... You say, like, look, like you strike everybody out. You strike everybody out. There's going to be at most like three ground balls to this guy, and most likely you're going to strike the next two batters out either. Everyone knows the issue is that the team doesn't hit for you, and this guy hits. So, you know, for you, you know, because you're special in so many ways, you get J.D. Davis out there, and it's not a bad thing, right? It's not like he's a he's not a major league player. He is a, a very good hitter who, who struggles at third base. Like, you, you take the good with the bad, and I think— I don't know. I feel like I could convince, I could sit down with Jacob deGrom and convince him it's the right move. Yeah. I mean, you could probably point out, like I just realized there have been uh, zero five to three putouts in Jacob deGrom's three starts this year. Right. Uh, there've been a couple of pop-ups to third. Uh, that, that's basically what happens. Uh, yeah. I, I think that that's just the slippery slope you get on. And, but maybe it's not as big an issue for the Mets because you say, okay, we'll play our, our more defensive infield with Guillaume at third behind Lucchese and Peterson. Those are the two guys uh, who might not be long-term guys in your rotation this year. It might, you know, those mm-hmm. if you're replacing people when Carrasco and, and Syndergaard come back, those are the two odd men out probably. Uh, and so that the problem kind of fixes itself, and then you can go back to playing, you know, playing Guillaume behind Stroman, or uh, you can mix it up the way you want to. Uh, I think it, it you know, it, it's almost harder for them because Davis is one of the guys hitting uh, to to make him more of a switch now. Uh, but we've seen them in the past be pretty quick with their defensive decision making. Like last year, uh, it was not this deep into the season when they decided Davis was their third baseman and Jeff McNeil was not. That they swapped them in third base and left field. That was pretty early in the season. That was a 60-game season, but still, uh, they made that decision rather swiftly. 
Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think it's, you know, Guillaume has done enough offensively. I think there are some people who think Guillaume will be as good offensively as Davis, and that's not my belief. Uh, that I feels like a stretch. I mean, he can get on base. You know, he can get on base, but it, it he, he does not hit for a lot of power. He does not do much else but get on base. Um, and we don't know, you know, we can't, we can't say for sure that he's going to have like a, if you could say, oh, Luis Guillaume is going to get you like a, a 780 OPS with a, you know, a, an on-base heavy split. And you say, oh yeah, then every day you play. But can you say that confidently? Like he, he's, he's hit okay. He's hit, you know, he's had, uh, he hit well last season in a, in a very, very small sample. He's had times at the minors that he got on base a lot. But it's not like this guy is is uh, a bat like Davis or with a track le- record like Davis's. Yeah, so I, I think you know he he's a different type of bat in that lineup. It's it's probably works against him that he's another left-handed bat rather than Davis, the righty who breaks up some of the lefties. Mm-hmm. But if you know if the rest of this lineup is operating as you expected it to coming into the season, having Luis Guillorme batting eighth, uh, you know between James McCann and the pitcher. Uh, is not the worst thing in the world. They can get away with that. This isn't like the uh, 2015 team at the start of the season uh, where they needed every ounce of offense they could get or a team even like in 2018 where they just did not have enough offense uh, in their lineup on a regular basis. And Luis Guillorme would have been batting, you know, sixth or something for them. Uh, The 2009 team, he probably would have been hitting cleanup uh, at various stretches of that season. He's the best hitter in the 2010 opening day lineup for sure. (laughs) So... Uh, you know, if the team plays the way it can, it's not just in a vacuum who's the better player uh, all around, J.D. Davis or Luis Guillorme. It's who fits your team's strengths and weaknesses better. Uh, and if the team is hitting but not fielding, then it's probably Guillorme. If the team's still struggling to hit, then maybe you lean toward Davis for a little bit. But it, it does seem like if everything goes according to plan, uh, you probably end up starting Guillorme a little bit more than you might have thought initially. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. What about in the outfield? Do you think that there's any concern that it, maybe you want to give, uh, you know, and it's, it's tough to know with Pilar what you're going to get defensively. Like he's a guy with a great defensive reputation, but the, the stats don't really quite match it. Al, Al Mora, on the other hand, is it seems like he, he is the real deal as a, as a center fielder, but but not much of an offensive player. Do you still stick with this alignment of of Nimmo playing center field for the the overwhelming majority of the games with with Dom Smith in left, uh, and you know I, we know that Conforto will be in right. I, I think you're okay with it for now. Uh, I, I think uh, you know Pilar has probably declined a little bit in center field. 
uh, I, you know, I think those, I think there's something to the defensive stats that have shown that uh, mm-hmm. over the last couple of years. I mean, he, he's been played in the corners by other baseball teams. You know, he was on the Red Sox last year. Uh, the Red Sox uh, were run in part by the guy who now runs the Mets, Zach Scott, uh, and they played him in right field. Right field's big in Fenway Park. You need a good defensive outfielder there, but they did not play him in center field much. Uh, so I think that tells you how they feel about him as a, as a defender. Almora, we haven't seen at the plate, really. You know, like he's got, he hasn't started a game yet. He's only got a handful of at-bats, if that. Uh, so it's tough to, to say, like, what kind of player he can be for them. I think if if everyone got through spring training healthy, you know, Almora might not be on the, the active roster. It might have been Jose Martinez there uh, as a bat off the bench instead. I forgot all about Jose Martinez. Thank you. That was, uh, I forgot. I completely forgot that he was that uh, he is part of this team. Yeah, and I, I think that's hurt a little bit of their their pinch hitting prowess to have that right handed bat off the bench. Uh, I, I think here, there's an example of where like the gap between Smith offensively and whoever would replace him, whether it's Pilar or Almora, is pretty significant. Uh, and I think you know you can get away with Nimmo and Smith there, uh, given that offensive gap. Uh, in a way that you're probably less willing to at third base. Um, moving back to the infield, and because you, you mentioned third base again, and, and to someone we hadn't mentioned, um, it's weird because it, it it seems like he's a little bit of an afterthought on the roster, but he's had some big hits. And you look at the back of the baseball card, Jonathan VR, just you know, two years ago, 2019, hey, had like an all-star caliber season for for the Orioles. He was. He was rough in 2020, but a lot of people were. Um, he, you know, wasn't a big deal signing, but he and and it's obviously it's it's less than 30 plate appearances, so it, it's meaningless. But he has hit he has hit quite a bit, like he did in in 2019 to date this year. We know he brings um, an element of speed on the base paths that they that they don't have a ton of. He's a he's a, a successful base stealer. He steals at a good clip. Is there a case for VR seeing more action? You know, he's been fine at third base so far. That's a position he hadn't played in five years uh, mm-hmm. in the majors. And and StatCast had him uh, as, I think, the worst infielder in baseball last season. How is it that the Mets Alex always Kobe? wind up with... Uh, the Mets always end up with the guy when you're like the single worst at this thing <laughs> defensively. It's always a Met. Right, and that was at second base. That was at his better position. Uh, yeah. I mean, that, it's 60-game season. Defensive metrics in particular... Uh, oh, you know, can, defensive metrics. And the Statcast ones seem a little bit more better for the small samples, but I would say defensive metrics. You kind of need like three years, certainly not sixty games. Yeah, I mean, like like the Statcast outs above average liked Davis at third base in twenty nineteen, for instance. They had him, uh, I think, positive as a third baseman that year, while defensive run saved had him as one of the worst in baseball. Uh, and they the two agreed that he was one of the worst in baseball in twenty twenty uh, at third. So. Uh, you know, I, I tend to look at a couple different things. The, the defensive run save, we're not as harsh on VR. He's been fine at third base to this point, and he brings, it's a different kind of, it's certainly a different approach offensively than Guillaume, and probably one that the OPS is going to be higher at the end of the season. There's definitely more power. There's more speed on the bases. There's more more uh, less on-base percentage, and it's a different kind of at-bat. Guillaume is the grinded-out uh, kind of at-bat, 22 pitches in a spring training game. Uh, and VR uh, is going to strike out on three pitches, uh, with some consistent, some regularity, uh, mm. but he's still probably going to be a better hitter overall. Uh, and if he's good, you know, he's not going to be a plus defender at third, but he can handle it. Uh, it's really, it's, I mean, he, he might be the compromise candidate there 
at third base, depending on how your your team is doing. So they've got these three different guys who fit three different niches at that position, uh, and it, it gives them uh, different ways to play around with it, but it, it's been tough for them to do so so far because they're playing so few games uh, that they haven't given anyone really extended run there yet. Yeah, and that's a good point too, and and I think that you know is something we can sort of use to write away some of the inconsistency in the rotation, uh, a lot of the uncertainty in the bullpen is like you you know we need more data on all of this stuff, and uh, even if they played every game, you still wouldn't have enough of a sample to say like this guy's good in the bullpen, this guy's bad in the bullpen, um, but certainly after after only fourteen, and and uh, and especially with how start and stop it's been, you know, and and you get. Uh, you mentioned Gazelman, who who we didn't see for the first week of the season, working week and a half of the season, and uh, and uh, just so you know, when Degrom or Strowman pitches, they you're not going to use the bullpen at all, and so uh, you don't have guys in any sort of you know regular routine. Um, there's there's a lot that could unfold here because it's April twenty third. Yeah, and that, like I don't I don't think it's worth it being that harsh on the starter starters for this last series that. Uh, the thing that upsets you probably is is some of the the walks that they gave up. Uh, mm-hmm. Whether it was Walker on on Tuesday in the fourth inning, it was some uh, walking questionable. In I don't know how much I'm I'm biased by the stupid little strike zone thing, but it felt like there were some guys getting squeezed throughout that series. Yeah, there were there were uh, who it was Peterson against Rizzo on Wednesday night who he threw like. Mm-hmm. Two pitches on the the inner half of the plate. They were, I don't even think they were inner third. They were inner half uh, that he didn't get, and he uh, he walked him on four pitches, and then you know got through that that inning, the rest of that inning fine, but then struggled. Uh, walked in a run a couple innings later. So you know you had Walker walk in a run, you had Peterson walk in a run, you had Lucchese walk the pitcher in a, a spot where he shouldn't have. Uh, I enjoyed his his matter of fact quote after the game where uh, someone you know Steve Gelbs or someone had asked him uh, about his outing, and he just goes. Yeah, I, I messed up when I walked the pitcher. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, which no, just, you shouldn't. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was that was a mistake. Like you know, when when players just come out and say that, it's it's hard to criticize them too much. They know what they did wrong too. Um, yeah. So, He's seen a baseball uh, game before too. You know, like you need, Yeah, I mean, he's not an idiot. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I guess guys sometimes do gloss over their mistakes, but you like accountability like that. Yeah. So. You know, and it's nice for the Mets that they off of this series, you go into having DeGrom and Stroman the next two days uh, and you're not facing Scherzer and Strasburg with Washington. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Stras, Strasburg's on the, the IL. You miss Scherzer all series. Uh, so that's the good news for their starting staff. But, you know, off of how well they pitched early the first couple times, first couple times through, uh, you know, you're going to have nights where they don't survive. Uh, the fourth inning, you just hope they don't stack up the way they did this past series. We have a, a handful of questions. I, I pulled Twitter for, I, I, I solicited questions on Twitter right before we started the show. So I haven't even really vetted these or think the, thought them through. And so I don't have an answer for this one from at Dan.Lewis, Dan Lewis, um, also known from the, the great Now I Know newsletter, which I subscribe to and very much enjoy, uh, trivia, trivia newsletter. Um, Dan wants to know, what offseason move did the Mets not make that they really should have? And I mean framework-wise, like, quote, find a start to play third base or, quote, bring in at least one other relief pitcher, not a specific deal. Um, 
I mean, find a star to play third base is a really easy one to, to say now in retrospect. Like, especially, you know, when we saw the cost of the, the Arenado deal, you could be like, well, well, that's, that's the one, you know, like, why couldn't they have ponied up those prospects, that level of prospects and, and cash to bring in Nolan Arenado? Now, maybe that impacts their ability to re-sign Francisco Lindor and, and extend Michael Conforto and all these other things we want them to do, but... Um, well, yeah, I mean, that's like the no brainer one. The, the specific one that I can think of <laughs> along those lines, uh, was exploring someone like Marcus Semien because that would be uh, a right-handed mm-hmm. hitting infielder, uh, who was, was available on a one-year deal. Uh, you know, like you could have said as the Mets, you know, this is our Robinson Cano money going to someone else on the infield this year. Uh, and then, you know. When Cano comes back onto the payroll in 2022, we no longer have this guy on our team. Uh, we give we give Semi the, the one year pillow contract. I, I believe he got was it one year and 18 with Toronto or one year and 16 something like that. Yeah, um, that sounds right. And he's a he's a good player for that deal, you know. Uh, yeah. So I thought like that was a guy you can play him at third base uh, or second base depending on on what he was comfortable with and what Jeff McNeil was comfortable with. Uh, he fit your lineup pretty well. Could could you know could be as good as Davis offensively, a different style profile, probably has a higher ceiling offensively off of what he did in 2019. Uh, and, you know, Davis would be a, then... He was a MVP runner-up, right? Like, he was an MVP finalist in 2019. Yeah, finished third. And really, if you throw out, like, a really horrific two or three weeks to start 2020, was really good the rest of that season and into the playoffs for Oakland. So I thought he was a guy who made sense on a, a short-term basis to be on your infield. Uh, you know, that, that would have, I don't know if they had signed him early, how that impacts the rest of their off season, uh, in terms of, of where they are with the competitive balance tax and all that. I, you know, I think you can go over the competitive balance tax if you're in it to win it. Uh, and I thought he was a guy that made a lot of sense to me. I haven't actually looked at what he's done, uh, with the Blue Jays so far this year playing second base. Um, but, uh, I, I like that idea at the start of the off season. Uh, I think I'm going to steal yours, actually. Dan asked us for a framework, and, and we did him better. I would say, yeah, uh, that's a, that is a good specific example of a move the Mets could have made. Uh, I think that you have done a much better job than me of considering the handedness of the hitters. But yeah, having that righty bat um, and a guy who, he hasn't done much for Toronto yet, um, but I think a guy who will hit quite a bit better and, and we know can play really, really good defense on the, on the infield at this point in his career. Uh, would have been would have been a nice guy to have. Yeah, and uh, you know, you we could talk about another reliever would have helped. Another reliever would always help. They could have always. signed. They could have signed a. You know, if they had signed Brad Hand and Brad Hand's pitching well, and Dan asked us this question <laughs> anyway, I would have said, yeah, another reliever probably could have helped. So, uh, like you can sign. You know, think you can always use another another guy in your bullpen. Certainly, not having Seth Lugo early in the season uh, reaffirms that. Uh, but I think the bullpen has, has, you know, it's basically cost them, what, the one game on opening day when, when May and Loop had kind of a nightmarish eighth inning in Philly. Uh, outside of that, it's been pretty good. Uh, you know, you've got to be happy with how Edwin Diaz has pitched for the most part, uh, despite giving up the, uh, the free runner on, on Thursday night. Uh, May has looked better. Castro has, has been probably the most pleasant surprise in the bullpen if you're thinking back to the start of spring training uh, mm-hmm. and how he's pitched. Um, so, you know, the, the bullpen and the, the starting rotation, the pitching staff as a whole has been better than I would have suspected given the injuries that they, they're dealing with at this point in the season. They are coming home for a series with the Nationals starting out, as you referenced, with Jacob deGrom. 
uh, a game, you know, nothing, no game is a must win in, in April. I would say this is a game they really, really want to win, right? Sitting at 7-7, seven and seven, play, uh, facing a, a Washington team that's starting to crawl out from its, its rough start. Uh, a beatable pitcher with their ace on the mound after a demoralizing series in Chicago. Uh, is this, can you call this, a, are you ready to call it a must win? Uh, no, no, I don't, I don't, I don't Good, call things because that would wins. be wrong. That's, there's no <laughs> such thing as that in baseball until it's game seven of the world series or game seven of your, of your, your, the, the elimination game is a must win. And other than that, there's no must win. But, uh, as a sign of, of kind of where Jacob deGrom is, is in terms of his performance currently. Uh, so like we're, we're recording this on Friday morning. I am getting the second dose of my vaccine on Friday afternoon. So my plan is really to not cover the Friday night game. Uh, it's kind of a night off for me. Uh, but my editor, uh, when we discussed this plan earlier in the week and the Mets had moved to Grom to Friday, uh, we had to make a no-hitter contingency plan, uh, which, you know, the Mets don't don't throw those very often. Um, but we, we still had to have just in case, you know, just in case something wild happens with DeGrom, uh, what is our, our coverage plan? Uh, can I be on top of that? So hopefully, uh, in the event that that does happen, I will be fine physically to cover a no-hitter. Uh, covering a Mets no-hitter would be very fun. Uh, but that is how good DeGrom is. That, like, every time out there, I don't know about you when you watch him, Ted, uh, but it, every time out there, he throws, like, this ridiculous first inning, and you're like, this might be it. This could be this could be the no-hitter game. Look, look, let's look at that other lineup. You know, the, the Rockies lineup isn't that good. It's seven innings. This could be it. Uh, and then he usually gives up a hit in the second inning. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, every time he, every time he pitches, you, you know, it's not even, you, you expect, you expect something special, maybe not a no hitter, but you're, it's like, oh, if he doesn't strike out 14 guys, I'm disappointed. Uh, You know, it's, it's, uh, it's absurd how good he's been. Are you, are you missing this game because you're, you're fearing the side effects or, or are you planning to hit up the dance clubs? (laughs) Oh, now fully vaccinated Tim Britton out and about in the world. You know, I'm going to give that the two weeks that they said. Yeah, that's right. Good. You know, I'm going to be responsible. My, I was my testing wife, you. I was my testing wife, you. My wife works in science, so she has been on top of this uh, from the yeah. very start. It's been very helpful. Uh, I, I got I, a scientist at home, too. It's 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 sometimes good, sometimes bad. You know, like sometimes <laughs> I just want to spew some pseudo, pseudoscience, and she's always ready to call me out on it. <laughs> uh, so we'll, we'll see how it goes, but uh, I, I should be okay just, just in case. Uh, Jacob DeGrom decides to make this the night he throws a no-hitter. Well, if he does, we will certainly be discussing it later. Uh, I guess early next week. I forgot what day it is. Uh, if you have questions for the Metrospective podcast, please, uh, whether you're coming from Sweden or, or Norway, uh, not seeing a lot of action in Denmark yet. So if you're out there in Denmark, we, we would love to, to hear from you and have you tell your friends. But uh, or, or even if you're in the, the New York, New Jersey metro area we would love your questions i'm at uh, you can email at asktedberg at gmail.com uh you can hit us on twitter i'm at og tedberg tim is at at tim Britton. uh we will be back next week to discuss whatever happens in this met series in washington hopefully sunnier times to to talk about tim as always thank you for participating in the metrospective podcast today yeah, tell me how good O'Leary's is. I, have, you know, I only had it once in the Oslo airport, and I don't really remember it being memorable. So, uh, let me know if so I should have a, gone to the a, one in Trump. So, so there's none in Boston. It's just a, it's a Boston themed chain in in Northern Europe in Scandinavia. 
Yeah, like I uh, I was in the Oslo airport once for a layover and walking around trying to find some place to eat. And I was like, oh, sports bar, that works. And you open up the menu, like the, the, the walls were just decorated with Boston athletes. Uh, and you open up the menu and it's like, you can get the Eucalyptus burger or the Tom Brady burger. Uh, and this is while I was living in Boston and I found it very strange. And I, found, I came out later, I, I found out that it was... Uh, you know, a, a chain that was in, in multiple locations. And then when, when my wife and I were in Tromso a couple, you know, a year and a half ago, uh, there was one right downtown there as well. Uh, I'm going we to assume it was, to. I'm going to assume it's owned by Troy O'Leary, former Red Sox <laughs> outfielder. I don't think it is. Don't look that up. <laughs> the guy who always gets overlooked when people talk about the Pedro Martinez uh, six no-hit innings in the 99 ALDS. Uh, absolutely uh yeah and uh i i would yeah i love i would love to further explore uh themed restaurants that are that seem far out of place but i think we should probably wrap it up there adios peace out